Amen. Would you guys thank Justin and John this morning? What a great job. All right. Well, we are so glad you're here. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series called One Plus One Equals One. We've been looking at marriage through the lens of oneness, God's design. And so each of the weekends of this series, we've been blessed to have a couple that we could get to know. This is Tom and Jeannie Osterberg. Can you welcome them today? Really glad to have them. All right, well, here we are. You guys are here in the present. Maybe we can take a look. This is them in the past. This is a wedding photo. It was very cool. I love that. And uh, why don't you guys tell us a little bit, give us a little overview, how long you've been married, kids, grandkids. Give us that picture. <laughs> We've been married 36 years. And, yeah, I know. Yes, that is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yep. um, so, and Tom and I got married a little older in life because um, I had been a widow for uh, seven years before we met. And so I, ha- I came into the marriage with a nine-year-old child. And um, so we were instant family. And um, then after that, Tom adopted Justin. And uh, then we had two more kids. And they're all three grown up now, praise the Lord, married and following Christ. And uh, we have five of the most outstanding grandchildren you might ever want to meet. And I do have pictures if you... Pictures after service. By the way, you, you've watched this, right? And you have grandparents in the room. You've watched this. We can talk kindly about our children, but we talk glowingly about our grandchildren. It's always amazing how the next generation is so much better than the one before. So I love it. Good. Okay. Well, that's a little bit overview. Um, tell us a little bit. When, the question we've been asking every week, what does oneness look like in your marriage? So when you guys, because we've talked a lot of theory of the idea of oneness, what's it kind of flesh out like in your guys' marriage? What does oneness look like in your guys' relationship? I want to say we're very grateful to have a chance to share. And I think we want to continue a great foundation we had. Before I got married, it occurred to me that I might want to talk to God a little bit about this. And I realized that I wanted to be led to a, a woman who was growing in Christ, that her relationship with Christ was very important to her. And at the same time, I didn't need to wait as well. I needed to let God develop in me the person who I should be so that when we met each other, we were together on the same page, and God could use us more if we had something to give to each other. Uh, God also blessed us with the fact that we're both kind of like project-type people, we know there's a season that's really crazy busy, but that ends, and then we can kind of catch our breath and go on to the next thing. And daily, I think it's listen and learn, and then review that, and go back to how we can serve each other better by doing that each day. Okay, and I think so too. I, I know the idea of oneness was like, mm, when you because <laughs> it hasn't been the word of our marriage, but um, but... It gets fleshed out, I think, like you said, Tom, on, on a daily basis. So it was a decision that we made up front to covenant with God to be married to one another. And we promised each other, too, but we're better at breaking promises to each other than covenants with God. And that's what's really been the thing that's held us together. And then I just do want to say, I told Todd this first service, and I'm going to say it next service, too, that um, we are not about symbols so much in our marriage 
because um, we did the candle thing, like you and Joanna did. Um, and we had the two candles and we lit the center one in our marriage ceremony. But we thought it would be symbolic to leave those two burning because we're two separate individuals with individual relationships with Christ. So we wanted to leave those burning. Unfortunately, during the service, the middle one went out. So, <laughs> so we decided we're not going to go for symbols There's anymore. There's no worry about it. Yeah. We're married. We love each other. That's what matters. Whether the candle says so or not. That's right. You guys, give it up for Tom and Jeannie. We're so grateful. Thank you guys so much. Now, I would encourage you, like all the other couples, we've gotten the chance to meet up here very briefly. We had a great conversation this week. We got to meet on Wednesday and record about a 40-minute conversation, just hearing about their life, the way that God's brought them together. I'm going to reference her story in a little bit as well because it really ties into what we're doing today. Today, if you have a Bible, if you want to get it open, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I think that's about the 7th. Sixth, seventh book in the New Testament, if you want to make your way there. Also, if you got uh, Trinity this week on your way in, you have some notes, and so you can be kind of getting those um, ready. Let me give you a couple things as we get started today. The first one is, um, is this. We have a very strategic relationship with Forest Home. We love those guys. Actually, that's what Justin and John are on their way up to do this week, is to lead worship at family camp. I'll be there with them. And our friend, you met Eric Tonis back in March. Eric's going to be speaking. So have a, we're really looking forward to that great group. Well, in family camp, one of the things that really is a distinctive of family camp at Forest Home is providing what they call CCAs child care assistant. And what that means is as a family comes up to camp, they're told that kids, that their family with kids ages 10 and younger, they provide nightly child care, nightly babysitting. So basically I can bring a family, I can come as a family to Forest Home and basically my kids are going to be watched in the evenings, put to bed so I can hang out with a spouse or with other friends my age and just have a great time. Well, that's really been a distinctive. It's a really great thing that families rightfully so look forward to. There's, though, this week going into family camp a deficiency with the number of CCAs that we have. So they asked me, and I said, I'd be happy to mention that. You can take a look at the screen. These cards are on the back. If you have a child or even a grandchild who fits that description, it's girls ages 13 to 18, and they'd be willing to be pretty flexible and put themselves in motion even today, or they can even begin tomorrow if need be. But join us Join us at Forest Home. I'll be there this week. Maybe you'll even get the privilege of watching Justin's younger kids. That could be pretty cool. Um, but that, that is a need that Forest Home has. I told them that we would be able to put out there for you. These cards are in the back lobby for more information. The reason it reads a little bit different, free for girls, there's usually a $75 fee because it basically is like a summer camp experience for girls who are involved, but the need is great and they need people today, so they're willing to waive that. So if you know someone interested, grab a card, give them information, and uh, join us this week at Forest Home. We're going to have a great time. Well, as we have been proceeding through this series... One of the things we did, if you missed us last week, we talked very straightforwardly on the subject of sexuality. And if you want to listen to that, you can go back onto our website, find our message archive. We just thought one way to demonstrate what we talked about was this. Take a look at the picture. This is just one way of saying this is what we talked about. <laughs> Maybe around lunchtime you'll get that. It's kind of hit like a lead balloon every service. But I just think it's so funny I have to keep showing it. So you'll get it later on. Okay. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're talking today. We're wrapping up this marriage, this series on marriage a little bit differently. I'll tell you how, but here's the big picture idea of what we're looking at. We're talking about the idea of understanding marriage through God's lens because God is the author. 
God is the designer, the creator of marriage, so we want to hear it from him, what he says it's about. And like any other thing, the opportunity to look into the instruction manual, or better yet, ask the designer himself is always prime if we can do it. So that's what we've been doing. Here are four reminders we've used every week to remind us why we're doing this series. First off, we've chosen to look at the topic of marriage to provide clarity as to what God's word says about the marriage union he designed. Our goal has never been to be political, it's simply to be biblical. We want to understand marriage from God's design. Secondly, the series is primarily aimed at those who are not yet married so that you'd begin to orient your decisions around God's design for marriage now. We've said that on a weekly basis. We know married people will benefit from this instruction related to God's word, but our hope is if you're unmarried as of yet that, and, if you, and if marriage is in your future, we would want you to not just have ideas but convictions moving forward into marriage that you would say, this is what I truly believe God says about this union, this relationship, and I want to hold tight to that well before I'm ever in a relationship. And so that's been our heartbeat. Now, today, this is what we're doing. We're kind of flipping it. If you notice the message title today, we're talking about before and after oneness. That's another way of saying we're talking about singleness today. So this is what I would encourage. Not only will this be very appropriate to you if you're here today and you're single, but if you're here today and you're married, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to put on the same lenses that I've said every week for single people. Hey, pay attention, see what God has. I would want you, if you're married today, to put on a set of glasses that say, what's that like? What is that like for a person who might be in my same life stage who's single? And what are some of the benefits as well as some of the challenges that people face? And I want you to see that today. My hope would be to even gain a little bit of sympathy. And even the goal would be to engage single people as family. You heard that right. right. I can't even say my R's. Friends that are like family. Family. Okay? That you would be really in a relationship where you would engage people who really might struggle with loneliness at times. Struggle with connections. That you would include them in your family to that degree. Number three, because God's design for marriage is not lived out fully by any of us, there'll be constant reminders of where you need to grow and mature. This series has not been for your spouse. It's been for you and for you to track and you to process. Number four, no matter what the state of your marriage, seek the truth of God with the spirit of God in the grace of God to live out the gift of God that he's given you in one another. We know That the only way we can live out God's design of oneness in our marriage is with his help and his ability. Weekly, I have been giving you a book recommendation. I really want to thank Larry Shoemaker for helping me. We did some research this week. week. I haven't really had a lot of great books that I have recommended to people before on singleness. But we found a, a great book this week called Thrive. Thrive is written by Lena Abu-Jamra, I want to say her name right, and it's just a great read related to living with intentionality as a single individual. I love the subtitle. It's called The Single Life as God Intended. I'm going to reference it later on today, and I'll tell you a little bit about the author, but this would definitely be a great read for you or someone that you know who is really walking in singleness and trying to figure out how to do this God's way, and I want to encourage you with that. So let's dive in today. What I want to do is I, I want to say we, we're talking about this subject because I believe it's so important to understanding marriage is to understand how I'm to live in singleness that might be true before marriage or even after. And I want us to see that through God's lens and design just like we would the issue or the relationship of, single, of marriage. I want to begin this way though. I think there's an elephant in the room related to this topic. And I want to kind of expose that from the very beginning and it's this. 
A lot of times at churches, we do a really poor job of thinking well about single individuals. I'm not saying that critically of Trinity specifically, but generally speaking, churches don't do a great job in this realm. And it's a lot of times because we just begin to think and plan according to one demographic, which is often families. And families means usually often people who are married who have kids. And so the reality is we can just become kind of singularly focused and forget that there are a lot of people who might not fit that status, but absolutely need to be included. And so from the very beginning today, and it can be felt on lots of different fronts, from the way that we charge for events, it can be felt on the way that we program, maybe a lack of programming specifically to allow single adults to interact together. Or maybe just the simple fact that when you walk into this building Sunday after Sunday, hoping you don't have to sit alone. Those are real challenges that oftentimes we can forget. So I want to say from the very beginning as Trinity Church, I want us to get better at this. I want us to get better. I, can, I can't speak for other churches, but I can speak for us. I want us to get better at being thoughtful, being inclusive, and being very much a people who are, are welcoming and drawing people into our connections, our relational worlds, rather than hoping that they're okay. And so today I hope to develop a little bit of some thoughtfulness uh, towards that end. So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to dive in. Here's our now what idea. We begin with this weekly about something that we are called to, uh, to what to do with this information as we walk out. You choose God's design for singleness by living in undivided devotion to Jesus. That's the way that we live out God's design for singleness is living in undivided devotion to Jesus. Let me show you what that means. Number one in your notes, God intends your singleness to be laser focused on him and his mission. God intends your singleness to be laser-focused on him and his mission. We have rightly so devoted ourselves to the last four weeks on this topic of marriage because it's so important and because it's really challenging. Paul said so. Your Bibles are open to 1 Corinthians 7. Look at verse 28. This is how he described it. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Now, that's kind of taken, you need to know the bigger structure, the context of what's going on. Paul's not saying that nobody should get married or that marriage is only burdensome, but he is saying this. He was writing to a very confused group of people. The Corinthian Christians, in my mind, mirror a lot of what Southern California looks like as far as the culture and even some of the problems we as followers of Jesus struggle with today. And so in it, what this culture, this group of new believers were struggling with is once they'd come to Christ, they were just kind of doing all kinds of things that were absolutely changing. We're going to change everything. Now, we would say when we come to Christ, transformation is the goal and is to be expected. But if my job was A before I became a Christian, now thinking I had to change jobs to go do job B. If I was single, now I must run out and go get married. And even married people were acting like singles within the church. They were just completely confused. So Paul was saying, let me, let me give you some guidance. Let me give you a little bit of correction. And that's the focus or the context of where that line comes from. Today we're talking about being intentional in your singleness. Even seeing your status as an opportunity to live in a unique, undivided devotion to the Lord. I had no idea of what that meant until I had this conversation. I was 20 years old. I was overseas for the summer getting to serve the Lord in Germany, working with a group called Cadence. I love this ministry. And one of their arms works with the dependents of military overseas. So I was basically a youth pastor to a bunch of army dependents in a place called Fulda, Germany. 
So as we're there, I was there probably within the first two weeks of my summer there. I remember us going to a restaurant that evening, and I was working with two single individuals, a guy named Dan that I lived with who was probably early 30s, and then another associate who worked on the same post, and her name was Andrea, and Andrea was probably about mid-20s, late 20s. And so these are the two I was working with. We go out for dinner, and as we're sitting over dessert, we're just having this conversation, and somehow the topic of singleness comes up, and I'll never forget what Dan said. Didn't hesitate, didn't caveat, didn't say a word except that. It's better to be single. I just sat there a little bit shocked. All of us were single in this place, but I just sat there and thought, well, how can you say that? That, like, what does that even mean? That's a very bold statement with no, no context at all. And he said, well, Todd, it's really easy. The Bible talks about the idea that when you are a person who is single, you can be focused, really given over to a passion for Jesus and for living out his mission, unlike you can when you're married. I thought, where's that at? He's like, it's in 1 Corinthians 7, the exact passage we're in today. And I remember hearing that from Dan and thought, that's real. I've never seen that before. I never heard that. And then I read the passage we're looking at right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern, Paul says. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is, a, is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. It's that straightforward. It's that clear. And I, came, I read that passage at night when we got back to our apartment. I thought, that's, that's what this is saying. Now, I want you to catch two very important things. Number one, he never once ridicules people who are married as though they are less than or as though they're failing because they're not more devoted to Christ. He's saying, rightfully so, their attention is divided because they have this one flesh relationship with the spouse and how that spouse is and the needs of that spouse really matter in, a, in such a profound way that it's time over here that is not being able to be given primarily or at least exclusively to the Lord. But Paul would say for those that are unmarried, that type of relational time and equity is not there and therefore there's an unhindered opportunity to be laser focused on Jesus and his mission. That's the essence of what 1 Corinthians 7 is saying. Now, I want you to hear this today. This obviously takes on a different flavor for single parents. Remember, never once did Paul say he's making any comparison other than the married individual versus the unmarried. Single parents, though, have another reality, and that is rightfully giving care and concern to their children. Paul would never have said, hey, you know what? I know you have kids. Don't worry about them. Just be focused on the Lord. Okay, He obviously would recognize that reality. So we know that there is a, a huge amount of interest, a huge amount of time and investment for a single parent into their child. That unhindered devotion is a little bit different than simply someone who is single without children. But I want you to see this today. This is the comparison that he's making. By the way, if you're here today as a single parent, I want to do something. I want you to see some of the single parents in the Bible. And I want you to see the example of people who trusted God for his provision and protection. Hagar, if you remember her, she was cast away by Abraham, really more so by Sarah. But the way that God provided for her and cared for her is a great, great narrative. 
The widows that were assisted by Elijah and Elisha, two prophets that both spent time in widows' homes who were both single moms of sons that God used to ultimately really bless their families. And I even think of Paul, who took a very fatherly approach to Timothy, even called him my son in the faith. These are all examples of single parents or those who function like them and cared for their children even though they weren't married. And there's a great example of the way that God met needs. So hear this today. Paul doesn't ridicule married people for being focused on ways to please their spouse. But he does write very objectively that married people, due to the nature of their appropriate distractions cannot live laser-focused in their devotion to Jesus like a single person can. Write this in your notes. A very bold statement. It is better to be single than to be married regarding one's ability to be undividedly devoted to Jesus and his mission. And that's why it's a gift with great purpose. Now, some of us would say today, Todd, it's also a gift I'd like to exchange. (laughs) Not the gift I was hoping for. Okay, this whole single thing isn't really cracked up to be what you say it is. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. But what I want you to first see is God's design. I want you to see his purpose in this matter is the ability to be laser focused on who he is. I also want you to see that this idea of gift, Paul uses that terminology to talk about what it, why we even use that word. In 1 Corinthians 7, 7, he writes, I wish that all of you were as I am. And he's talking about the idea of being single. But each one of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. It might be the gift of marriage. And another has that. It might be the gift of singleness. So he's just saying at his own experience, he sees this focus about being able to serve Jesus as a really high calling and a great value. By the way, as we process this information today about singleness, I don't want to use this example to blow you out of the water, but I do want you to be able to connect with it. Remember that the same Jesus that we talked about today as the means of our salvation from beginning to end lived life on the planet as a single man, allowing him to have undivided devotion to his father, enabling him to be laser focused on his mission. And he should be, in that sense, a great example. And even someone, when you cry out to him, Jesus, you don't understand? I have a pretty good feeling on this front he does. This undivided devotion to Jesus allows you to live out your mission with great intensity. To engage the practices and rhythms of being rooted in Jesus, part of our mission. What those things that enhance your relationship and connection to him. You have maybe more time and availability to do that. To invest more into the lives of the people in your relational world as you reach into their lives because you're not focusing your relational energies toward a spouse. This is something that's afforded when you're single. Let's move on. Number two in your notes. Avoiding, avoid approaching your singleness either selfishly or scornfully. Avoid this attitude. Avoid the perspective of your singleness as either selfish or scornful. These are two of the biggest hurdles that I find. I've interacted with quite a few people who are single in a lot of different stages of life. And if there's a struggle, it's usually related to one of these two things. There's either a really um, focused self-centeredness or there's this real sense of scorn and frustration over their, um, their stage. So I want to talk about this a little bit. For some, singleness has a huge upside because it allows amazing freedoms to do basically whatever you want. Now, when I say that, obviously, I don't, I'm not talking about it in a criminal term. Wow, this is awesome. I'm single. Um, but what I am saying in terms of the idea of not worrying about how this is going to impact a spouse. 
free from commitments that you don't have to be burdened by. There can either be an over or even a subtle selfishness that emerges in a single person's heart. To simply want to utilize their time, energies, resources, primarily towards that which brings them their own personal happiness. Now, here's the interesting thing. There is no one in a culture that is so set on pleasure-seeking that's ever going to say there's a problem with that. No one in our culture is ever going to say that's a bad idea because that's the way our whole culture seems to be oriented. How do you go get what you want for you? So the problem is we have to see it through God's lens. God doesn't see freedom as a means to indulge selfishness, but as a way to be free as a way to be committed to him and to his mission even more fully. Though it's not in the context of singleness, Paul has some powerful things to say about the purpose of freedom. Look at this from Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That would be the purpose. And I don't want to speak down today as though I'm comparing you to one of my children, but I do want you to hear this. I'll never forget each one of my kids, all four of them, at one stage or another, we have had this conversation. And the conversation has been, as a parent, when I'm watching them, I'm seeing that the way that they're ordering their life or the way that they're they're looking at the world is all about how does this benefit me? I want something. I want X, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that happens. And living in a very clear selfishness. And as we talk about that, the thing I consistently tell them is, when you keep aiming at trying to fulfill yourself, you're always going to come up empty. Even if you attain the thing that you think is so important, the thing that you're aiming at, it just becomes bittersweet when you finally reach it. But we've talked about instead of we will see the world through the lens of God and his purposes, that God's goal for me on the planet is not primarily for me to find pleasure, but for me to give myself away in the lives of others around me. That's where joy is found. And so we've had that conversation on numerous times, and that's always been a good reminder to me as well that this is how we all are called to live, not as people who are all about what I can get for me, but people who would give ourselves away. That's where joy is found. I want to say something, too, that's just a piece to this puzzle. I've done a lot of premarital counseling, and what I've found, and and most, Larry would agree, other pastors who've done premarital would agree, that the older that individuals are when they get married, one of the subtle challenges that they have is that they have just had more time living on their own. And living on their own means you develop patterns, I would even call them ruts, about the way that you like things done. They're not necessarily sinful things at all, but it's very much, this is the way my life works. Well, now you try to combine that with someone else who also has a very clear pattern of how their life is supposed to work and you have conflict. And so one of the challenges is people are marrying at an older age, and I'll just leave that age nebulously out there, whatever that may be, is the challenge of going, how can I be flexible and work with this other person so that we can create a new way that we work together. Couples who often marry young, some of them have never even lived out on their own until they're now in this marriage situation, and they're just kind of forming all these routines together at a much earlier stage. And that's just one of the different contrasts. There's no way that there's uh, something really profoundly bad about getting married when you're older. It's just something to be aware of. This is gonna be a little bit more of a challenge to be flexible and to work together. For others, it might not be an issue. Others that are single today, it might not be an issue of indulgence and selfishness, but it may look more like a constant frustration and dissatisfaction with the state of singleness. 
It manifests itself often in a constant focus of yearning to be in a relationship that would, quote, free them. Free them from being alone, even if it may be with someone who they would even say, God's word has some clarity related to who I ought to marry. I loved, by the way, part of Tom and Jeannie's story, as you heard them share today, I love the part when even today, and they said it in our interview, when Tom shared, our goal going into marriage was number one, Jeannie even said in the, in the interview, I wasn't looking to get married. I was a single mom and I was simply going, God, I'm going to do this well. I'm going to focus on you. Let you be my strength and my stronghold. If you bring someone to my life, that's fine. But that's not what I'm really even looking for right now. And Tom said it so well. We focused on getting ourselves connected to Jesus, getting ourselves driven and and dialed into who he was. Therefore, if God brought us someone, it wouldn't be that they had to fill something in us that was empty. Instead, we could be a blessing to each other. And I'd love the the way that they simply put that. It was very powerful and very much, I think, God's design. When we live in that constant yearning of simply wanting to be with someone, sometimes we can drop that bar in such a way that God has already said it so clearly. Does that person love me? Is that person growing in me? Is that the person that you ought to be in a relationship that could lead to marriage toward? Sometimes we set that aside so much because we don't want to be alone. Or it may manifest itself in a way of consistent gloom when discontentment takes a stronghold in your life and begins to permeate all the parts of who you are. Or it may surface in a strong sarcasm that just is simply the idea of dealing with the lesser of evils of either laugh or cry. That's the way it's going to happen. I wanted to share with you today, not my own words, but from someone who gets it. I was told you before about Lena's book. Lena is in her 40s. She's an ER doc. And she's been single her whole life. And so when she writes on this topic, I want to hear what she has to say. Because she doesn't have just theory, she has practice. And she had a great quote that I wanted to share with you today related to some of the challenges that come with finding our hope in Jesus rather than in the hope of another person. This is what she writes. When the thing you desire, even if it's good, exceeds your love for God, contentment vanishes and thriving is impossible. Though your desire for marriage is not a sin, that's not a sin issue, it becomes sin when you make it essential for your happiness. Nothing will drive the spirit of discontentment more than focusing so much on your desire and forgetting about God. Perhaps you've forgotten all about God's goodness and his perfect plan for your life. You've forgotten that God has given you singleness as a gift and that you were meant to live abundantly no matter what, no matter the circumstances you found yourself in. Powerful words, that's quotable material right there on the idea of how to live in a stage of contentment no matter where I'm at, married or single. Though it's not specifically given in the issue of singleness, I think Paul has much to say about this idea of living undividedly devoted to Jesus and the issue of contentment. This is what he he said in Philippians 4. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That last line is a very well-known line, Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That, That verse is usually at the bottom of some motivational poster. A guy hitting a home run. 
I can do all things through him. You know, any great achievement I can do because God is the giver of strength. And I would just say that's not all what that verse is talking about. That verse has nothing to do with hitting home runs. That verse has everything to do with God. You will give me the grace. You will give me the strength. You will give me every resource I need to thrive in whatever situation you place me in. That's what that verse is about. I can do all these things. I have learned the secret of contentment because I find my strength in Jesus, not in my circumstances. And that verse is a really powerful reminder to us on that front. You, I wanted to say to you today, if you're here and you're single, you can walk through the valley of disappointment. You can walk through the valley of loneliness knowing that he will give you everything you need to experience contentment in whatever circumstances you face. One of the groups that's here today related to singleness are widows and widowers. I want to talk a little bit to that that group because there are tendencies in both of these areas as well. Some for us, if we've never married, and others for us, we've married, and now our spouse has gone. This idea of to either feel the license of living selfishly that wasn't engaged before when you were married, or to live in a sorrowful manner that only yearns for how things used to be. I want to say this. This has been a challenging series for me in terms of its timing. Here at Trinity Church, we've even had a few um, recent deaths Widows that are struggling in just weeks and months since their husbands have passed. And this has been a challenging subject on that front, and I get that. And so when I talk about widows and widowers, I want you to hear this. I have experience in this that goes back 23 years. That's when Joanna's dad passed away. And so we've walked this road, and I know firsthand, watching a mother-in-law struggle, that this is a journey. And this is nothing that really ever just goes away and you just move on. I get that. So I want you to really hear my words today that I'm not being cavalier or just brash. But I want you to hear something too. I want you to hear the way that my mother-in-law has lived. Her name's Leela Jeffrey, and she was widowed at 53. That's when Bob went to be home with the, went home with the Lord. And, um, and none of us, Joanna has two other sisters and our, our kids, none of us had kids before he had passed. So they've only known uh, their grandmother. And I got to tell you, the way that she has lived, the way that she has been undividedly devoted to the Lord and to her family, she has grandparented in a way that no married grandmother could have. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful she has made that such a focal point of her life. And I have watched her through so many seasons just continue to give herself away. She's been a model to me in the way that we can do that, the way that we can say, God, this was never a stage, never a status I had anticipated or hoped for, but it's where I'm at. And now that I'm here, this is how I'm going to live. My kids have been so incredibly blessed. It's funny, I was even thinking about, it was like a year ago that they made her a rap album, okay? And uh, my son, Jackson, is the oldest of all of her grandkids. She has 11 grandkids. And of them, he's the oldest. And so he's always been the one to give her nicknames. It began when he was very young, couldn't put words together. It was Gaga. Then after that got uncool, it became Double G. And then the rap album kind of unleashed the newest one, and it's Mrs. Bling Bling. Okay? So I just love the way that she has been so much uh, invested in giving to my kids. And I'm so grateful for that. I would encourage you, if that's kind of a stage where you're at, 
use someone like my mother-in-law as an example because she's done it well. Finally, today, number three, married couples need to be purposeful to include those living single. Married couples need to be purposeful to include those living single. From Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I love this verse. It's so concise. It's right to the point. There are singles in our midst who might have need related to relational need, related to financial need, but you can't escape that last part. Practice hospitality. Let this be the stuff of our lives. And that's why we introduce that word. If it's new to you today, the word family, this is how we act. We pull people in. We don't wait for them to ask to be involved. We pull people in and we say, you are like family to me. We don't have a blood connection, but we have a Jesus connection that runs much deeper. You're a part of us. And I love the way that that rolls off. Today, I hope if you're married here today that you're appreciating in a renewed way some of both the challenges and even the opportunities that our single brothers and sisters are facing. In your notes, write this down. This is my goal to you today. Move beyond feeling sympathy for the single people in your world to engaging them in action. Action that demonstrates the intentionality and the inclusion of God's love. Move beyond feeling something to doing something and demonstrate God's intentionality in the inclusion of his love. If you're walking out of here today feeling burdened for all the single people in the world, for them to feel included, you're going to be rendered immobile. You won't do anything. But if you will take stock of at least one, one person single in your relational world and would say, I want to reach out, I want to dial in, I want to invest in even a more focused, more um, overt way than I ever have before, that will make a lasting difference. And I want to say to your credit here at Trinity Church, there are multiple married couples that I know that I interact with often who have done a great job of this. My administrative assistant, Sherry Blakey and Scott, have done an amazing job being very much family to single individuals in their world and helping them feel as though they're involved, invested, and that they count. And I want to encourage us to be that more and more as a people. Besides inviting them into your home, inviting them out to dinner, including their kids if it's a single parent, being people committed to them who can be a source of encouragement and strength and prayer is a benefit that would be so significant in their lives. And here's a simple question today. Why pray for them? Because that's what we've been asking them to do for you for the last 21 days. We've been doing this prayer challenge here at Trinity Church. We've been asking married couples to pray together. It doesn't have to be hours of prayer daily, but at least some type of time together praying. And we've also asked single individuals to be praying for the marriages in their worlds. So I want to ask you this today. If you've taken us up on that challenge and you've done that, you've daily been able to pray together as a couple. Let's start with married couples. Would you just stand this morning? I'd just love to see you and love to see those who did it. Any of us? Okay. Great job. Now, oh, stay standing, stay standing. We're going to add your number. Stay standing. What if you did that? What if you're here today as a single individual who said, I've been praying daily for the marriages in my world. Would you guys join them? Great. Now, let me say this. Those of you who are standing right now, I'd love for you when we're done today, you have a welcome card in front of you. Just write your name on that welcome card at the end of our service. Take it to the welcome center and they have a a gift card for you. So you could do a coffee date, ice cream, whatever. Remember, it's not coffee and ice cream. You got to pick. It's a really hard challenge. Oh, don't sit. Don't sit though. Do this. Let's say for those of you, you said, you know what? No, we didn't do it every day. 
And I will admit, for Joanna and I, our schedule got to where we were trying and it didn't work out. But we also prayed more during these 21 days than we had before. If that's you, would you stand? If you were just saying, I'm going to take this as a, a catalyst in my life to begin praying more as a couple or to begin praying for marriages more. That's awesome. And I really want you to hear that was the goal of the challenge. Not a gift card, but a catalyst for behavior. Okay? <laughs> Let me pray. We'll close our service. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for this series that has, once again, um, just help us reorient ourselves to your design. We want to live it out. God, we want to live out uh, what you have for us in our stage of life, no matter what it be. Whether we be married, whether we be single. God, we want to honor you. We want to live our lives in, according to your, your plan, your purpose. And God, help us live out your mission. We're a people who are called to be rooted in reaching I pray that we would um, more and more understand and more and more engage our mission in being connected to you and reaching into our worlds. God, may people love Jesus through us. Would we love you more ourselves? Thank you so much. We pray in your great name. Amen. I want to tell you today, as we close our service, we're going to give you the opportunity to give as you came prepared today in terms of the offering. If you're a guest today, please don't feel any obligation to give. Be our guest. But if you're here today, this is how you fund what happens at Trinity and around the world through your gifts. At the end of the service today, others will be available to pray with you. We'd love, don't leave this place. If you need prayer today, don't leave this place before someone gets to pray over you. And we're going to worship and focus on the Lord as we close today.